0: All right. Good morning church. It is always a privilege to open God's Word with you on the Lord's Day and we get to do it again. So excited to to study uh, His Word and see what God has for us this morning. And if you've gone to church long enough or read the Bible long enough, um, you know that the Bible clearly teaches that everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God as Paul talks about. And even the born-again Christian, follower of Jesus, uh, sins. We all do, and that is without exception of everyone in this room. Maybe some of your goals that were still very fresh on the new year were to get rid of some of those sins in your life that maybe has been a part of you for way too long, and that many times is is some of those goals that people have when it comes to a new year, uh, alongside things like reading the Bible in a year and whatnot. But for many of us, as I said, there's been sins, there's been struggles in our lives that maybe you've kind of questioned many things about even your own faith because it's been such a big part of your life in one way or the other. Now, dealing with sin is a big concern to the Christian because sin is a big concern and a big deal to God, to our Savior. The Christian is not concerned about sin and dealing with sin because they're obsessed with being good and moral, but because it was sin, it was because of sin that Jesus had to die. It was out of this, because of this, that God sent his son to die on a cross. So this is a big deal for the Christian. It is a big concern for those who believe in Jesus Christ. But my goal for us this morning as, as we approach the word of God is not to look directly at how to uh, avoid temptation or fight sin or anything like that, but rather how we respond when we sin. And, and that is what I want us to consider, our response to sin. What happens when we do sin? John talks about how if anyone says that there's no sin in him, he is a liar, right? All of us must attest to that. Not only does the Bible tell us, our own lives, right, attest to the fact that we've sinned. So what do we do after? How are we supposed to feel? What are our next steps after we sin? And what does the Bible tell us about that? I want to propose to, to you this morning that how we respond to sin matters. It really matters, and it can make all the difference. And it is bad response after bad response to sin that keeps many of us in these cycles of sins that we can't break out of it, right? It's because we didn't respond to sin as God calls us to respond to it. So when you sin, what comes to mind? What, what emotions do you feel? What, what are the next steps that you take? And what direction do you find yourself going? And that's kind of the approach that I want us to have as as we read this passage in the Word of God. And in it, God provides us for some guidance on how to correctly respond to our sin so that we will grow closer to Him and not far apart from Him. But before we do that, I, I want us to consider some, some common responses that we have to sin. Right? And these are not healthy, these are not good, they're not biblical, but it's how m- most of the time we respond to our sin. One of them is that we minimize our sin. We make little of this sin. We say things like, it's, it's not a big deal. Right? So we minimize sin, but this is not biblical. This is dealing with sin with uh, another sin. right? We are making less of this sin and making more of ourselves, really. Other things that we do is we justify our sins. We try to think of excuses or ways that say, well, my sin wasn't that bad, or I did it because of this. And we hear things like, my wife wasn't intimate with me, or it's the only way that I can go ahead in my job, or it's the only way that I was going to pass my class. So we justify sin. Or blame, shift. We, we pass on the blame to someone else, and, and we know that with Eve and Adam and all of that, right? And it started there, but we see that, and we respond to sin in that way. I wouldn't have done that if so-and-so would have said or done that. And we put all of these things, or maybe you sinned against somebody else, and... You feel guilty, and there is this partial confession where you confess enough or you tell them enough to appease your guilt. Or victimization, you make yourself the victim of what happened. And, well, I did it because, you know, this and this, and and just poor me, and I had no other choice, and what was I going to do? And something that I've seen recently, too, is you put a sort of code or tag or name on this sin So in a sense, this is sort of the seas or identity that you somehow have have no control over. These are things in many ways, and and maybe you can think in your own life, right, how you have responded to sin, and many of these are the reasons why we keep getting stuck in these cycles of sin, and why sin is a part of us more than it should. And I want us to now look at the specific passage. Now, there are other uh, passages in the Bible that tell us how to deal with sin, and and how to respond to it, but I want us to look at it in light of 1 Samuel chapter 12. And we'll read a a couple of verses before from our morning devotional just to get more of the context of what's going on here. So follow along here so we can get the big picture. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold the Lord has set a king over you. So what's happened is, Samuel is getting old, and he's appointed his two sons to be the next judges of Israel. However, they were told that they were not walking in the ways of the Lord. So the people went to Samuel, and they said, Listen, the other nations, they have kings. Why can't we be like them and also have a king? Before, God was ruling directly over them through people like Samuel and these judges and prophets. And now they're asking for a king. And that's what's going on here, so let's, let's keep on reading. It says, If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. It is not, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me... Far be it from me that I shall sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And these are the words of Samuel here to a people who have asked for a king instead of being ruled by God. And now there's this event that happens, and they recognize what they have done. It's almost like their eyes were uncovered, and they see, I have sinned against God. And what are they? They're afraid. And they go to Samuel, and they tell him, Samuel, please pray that God will not kill us. They're very scared. And now what I want us to read is, is Samuel's response, and, and, and that's what we read in these verses. And he starts off, and he tells them, do not be afraid. Now, I'd like to imagine the people when Samuel says this. Do not be afraid, because how can I not be afraid of the same God who just sent thunder and rain at your request? This God just confirmed his power once again, right, over something like thunder and rain. Samuel, what do you mean, do not be afraid? Right, we've done this evil. God knows it. How can I not be afraid? And the answer, he gives it in a couple of verses ahead when he says, for the Lord will not forsake his people. And we'll unpack that idea a little bit more later on. But it's important to understand that his words here, when he says, do not be afraid, they're not taken so that they will take advantage of God. They're not there so that they will be encouraged to sin and and continue doing whatever they were doing before. But how can this statement right here from Samuel, do not be afraid, be of any encouragement for them to not sin. And it is because of the reason why they shouldn't be afraid of God. It is his demonstration of love. Because otherwise, then by all means, be afraid of God. You need to be extremely afraid of God. He just sent thunder and rain at his request. And right you've sinned against this God. But it is his demonstration of love, and it is because of that that you and I can approach God without being afraid. And this sort of love, is the Christian, the true Christian, does not disregard it. It doesn't make little of it. The true Christian embraces this love. The true Christian values and treasures this demonstration of love from God, and that love captivates them and transforms them. That is how the true Christian responds to this love and this demonstration of love from God. So Samuel tells them, do not be afraid, not as a means to encourage them to continue in their sin, but as a means to discourage them from continuing to sin. Because it is a demonstration of his love, he will not forsake his people. That, that speaks of grace, unmerited favor. It's very clear that, that he doesn't make less of their sins by any means. He tells them, you have done all this evil. He doesn't say, you haven't, don't be afraid, it wasn't that bad. Or don't be afraid, you, you really, what you did was okay, God is not that mad. He makes it clear, he says, do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. And now let's go on to what he continues to say. He says, Yet yeah, do not turn aside from following the Lord. When you and I sin, who do we follow to get there? God or ourselves? James tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Many times when, when a person sins and They've hit rock bottom because of their sin. Uh, they do something they never imagined they would do. The question that comes up is, how did I get here? Right? How did I get here? Like I, I don't understand how did I get here. And one thing is clear is that it wasn't by following God. Because God will not lead you towards sin. We sin when we follow ourselves rather than God. When we make our heart, our passions, our desires our guide instead of God. And he tells them, yeah, do not turn aside from following God. Us as Christians, and if you are a Christian, we need to be always aware of who we are following. Because we're always following someone or something in our lives. and It's not always God, and that's evident because we sin. And we always have to be aware of that. Who are we following? Many times the Christian thinks that this is That's how it's happening. You're going and you're following the Lord. You're doing well. And then out of nowhere, there's this opportunity to sin. And you just made a harsh, sharp U-turn. And now you're headed in the opposite direction of what you believe in and love. But the reality is that that's not how the Bible teaches us that sin works. And I have a picture here to, to kind of illustrate a little bit of this. The Christian many times think they're in the right lane. And they're going and they're following the Lord. And then, like I said, there is this opportunity, this this temptation, right? And we decide to leave behind everything that we were following and loving and just make this bad decision and head in the opposite direction. But the reality that the Bible teaches us, and let's think here practically when we're driving, right? Or you're in a car. If I'm in the right lane all the way on this side, and I want to head in the opposite direction, make a U-turn, what do I need to do if I'm over here? What do I need to do? I need to start moving to the left lane, right? I can't make a U-turn from the right lane. If I want to make a U-turn, I've got to get all the way to the left lane. And that happens one lane at a time. If it happens one lane at a time. I need to start moving slowly from here to here, and some people faster than others, in order to get to a position where I can head in the opposite direction. And this is exactly how you and I sin. When we're following the Lord and and we're being faithful to Him, it's not that there's this random opportunity and now we're just heading in the opposite direction of what we love, what what we believe in, and God. It happens because we start slowly compromising. One little decision here to follow ourselves rather than God and keeps putting us and putting us more and more in this position. Then when there is this temptation, we head in the opposite direction. And that that is more accurate with how sin works and how we and our heart works according to the word of God. But you see, following involves submission. You are placing yourself under the lordship of God. It it is all about submission. That, That is what following really comes down to. And this is what Samuel tells the people. He says, you've committed this great evil. Don't be afraid, but do not turn aside from following Lord. Meaning, follow the Lord. Don't follow yourself. Follow the Lord. It was following yourself that got you here in the first place. But why would he say this? Well, we don't know for sure, but I do know that when we sin, when we fail against God, it discourages us from continuing to follow him. If you've sinned, if if you've failed God before, you know that that could be one of the most discouraging things and leading you to follow Him more, right? When you see your own sinfulness in your heart, a thought that came to mind, a way that you treated somebody else, whatever, it discourages you. It puts you down, and and you have no motivation to continue to follow the Lord. There is this motivation to read the Bible is gone, to, to pray and approach God, because it discourages us. But Samuel says, do not let your sin turn you aside from following the Lord. And that is my encouragement to you. After you've sinned, what will be your next step? If we hold on tightly to the words of Samuel here, we are to continue to get back on track with the Lord. He goes on to say, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Serve the Lord with all your heart. And first of all, the very act of serving God is is an act of grace. Because we don't deserve to get up here and do what we do, right? And worship God, and we don't deserve here to anything like that. And and he gives us that grace to serve him, someone who we're not worthy of even knowing. But he says to do that with all your heart, giving God your best. And the thing that, that I've seen in my own life is you only do something with all your heart if you absolutely love or value something, If I don't really value this or don't really love it, then I won't do it with all my heart. I won't serve this with all my heart. You will be okay with doing the bare minimum. But when you love something, when you value something, you treasure someone, you do whatever you do with all your heart for it. It it, it comes natural to you, right? It's what you do. And he tells them, serve the Lord with all your heart. But I want us to notice something else here in this passage. That is very significant in in our walk and if we want to grow closer to God and further away from our sins. There is this progression in this passage where Samuel is leading the people to stop thinking about themselves and shift the focus of their thoughts unto God. When they sin and they recognize what they've done, they're afraid. And they go to Samuel and they say, Samuel, pray that God will not kill us. So we see that their concern with their sin wasn't so much about the fact that they sinned against God. Their concern with their sin was the fact that they're going to experience the consequences. That was a real concern. That was a real issue here. Not that I've offended a holy God, but rather there are consequences that may come my way. And that was their real concern. So really, they were concerned about themselves. They were centered on themselves. That was what really was concerning them. And Samuel tells them, don't be afraid. Then he tells them, don't stop following the Lord, but serve Him with all your heart. What is he doing? He is shifting the focus of their thoughts away from themselves and their emotions, and now shifting them to God and who He is and His worthiness to be praised and served. When we sin, many times we start this battle of back and forth in our mind right, of how we should be feeling, and you start to just focus so much on your emotions and, and going back and forth, like I was saying, right, and, and it's like, should I have done this or should I feel, like, what, what is going on? When we get to those places, sometimes we, we need to stop and say, I, I'm thinking about myself too much, and we need to redirect our thoughts back to God and who God is and what God has done and look at our sin in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. It was being consumed with ourselves and thinking so much about ourselves that got us to this place of sin in the first place. What makes us think that staying there after we sin would change anything? And this is why we have these cycles of sin. Because we sin and then we stay consumed with ourselves and how we feel and the potential consequences of our sins. and, And it's hard, right? It's hard not to do this. But in moments like that, we had to let the Word of God do His job. The author of Hebrews describes the Word of God as sharper than a two-edged sword. And if you're a Christian, you're going to have to come to a point and decide, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that the Word of God can change the way that I think? Do I really think that the Word of God is able to do what God says is able to do? And if that's the case, after you sin. Our response should not be to turn to our own ideas on what we should do and try to make sense of it or try to figure out what is the right way that I should be feeling. Should I be feeling more guilty than I am right now? No. If the Word of God is as powerful as it claims to be, then our response needs to be to approach His Word and and let it do His work in us. And let it change our affections and our thoughts and place them where they need to be. So this progression of shifting from thinking and the focus of our thoughts being on ourselves and shifting them to God and what His Word says. And then he says in verse 21, or in the same part, Serve the Lord with all your heart. And he tells them, Do not turn aside after empty things. And here is, this is very similar to to something like the words of prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2 when he said, the heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That's what you and I do all the time. <laughs> we turn to these other things. And one thing we have to have clear and kick off a new year. And we have all these sort of goals. And many times these goals become our source for hope, our source for identity, our source for success. But no amount of success this year, no amount of achievement in the home, in the workplace, at school, at the gym, at church, can give to our souls what it really needs. What you and I need is time with God. It's time. We need God himself. We need time in his word. We need time with him in prayer. We need time with his people. That is what our soul really needs. We don't need these other things, but we must be aware that that is our natural inclination. We naturally, after sinning, go back to more things that are just empty. And notice how he describes it. Empty. Things that promise, but do not deliver. So we must be aware of that reality. And approach the word of God time after time to fix our affections and turn them to him. So what is our hope for today, for this year, and for the rest of our lives? It is the words that Samuel tells them in verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. If it had not pleased the Lord to make us his people, we would be hopeless. If God had not taken action in becoming flesh and dying for us, there would be no hope. Nothing that we can accomplish, as, as great as it might be, will mean anything. But it is because God does not forsake his people. And there is a passage in the Old Testament, and many times we make this sort of distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. But God didn't start being gracious when Jesus came to earth. God didn't just become this gracious God and merciful God when Jesus was dying on that cross for us. God has always been gracious. God has always been merciful. That is who He is. He is not changing. At the cross, there was this ultimate demonstration of His love, of His grace, but it's always been like this. As Christians, the cross of Jesus Christ is not only our only hope of being accepted by God, it is our only hope of continuing to follow Him. When we're discouraged, when we feel worthless, when we feel guilty, when we feel all of these things, it is the cross that serves as this reminder that God has not forsaken His people, and that God will not forsake His people. And we we are blessed to be able to know this truth, to live with that burden lifted off us, that when you and I fail, when we sin, there is a God who died for us to be able to continue to follow Him. And this year when you do fail, when you do sin, and now that we should try to. But when this does happen, what's going to be your response? How would you respond to your sin? You don't need to be afraid of God. You can approach Him with all the confidence in the world. Not making less of your sin, not justifying your sin, not doing anything like that, but responding To God by honoring him. By grabbing hold of his grace. Not as a means to take advantage of it. And we see that in this passage. Samuel says don't be afraid. But right after he gives them a series of things. They are to do. Not so that they can be forgiven. But because they've been forgiven. Now you serve the Lord. You don't stop following him. And that's my encouragement to you. And to finish. To finish this time I want to read. One passage that came to mind, I don't have it up there. But as in Hebrews, in chapter 4, verse 14, the Word of God says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There is hope for the follower of Jesus. There's no excuse when it comes to sin and we should do everything to turn to Him and to get rid of the sin in our lives. But I hope this puts into perspective why many times we're stuck with some sins. It's because when we do, we respond to them in ways that God has not told us to respond to our sin. We don't need to deal with it on our own. We can't do that. We need to bring it before him. Whatever it is in your life, you need to bring it before him. But know that there is hope. There is grace. And we need to hold on to that promise. That he will finish the work that he started in us. As Paul writes. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the cross, that in the cross we have hope, in the cross we can can be captivated by your love and be transformed. Help us as we walk through our life to not turn aside from following you. We in ourselves, God, are inclined to follow ourselves and our ways and our desires, help us to be captivated by you so that we will not follow ourselves, but instead follow you. You are worthy, and sin is ought to take away the life that you died for us to have. So help us to not drown in guilt and shame. Help us to not take advantage of your grace. Help us to follow you, to serve you, and to not turn aside after empty things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.